welcome to the Jonah Carey Podcast, friends. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today's guest is Ken Hill. Ken, an excellent former Major League pitcher. He pitched for 14 seasons in the big leagues, two top six Cy Young finishes, uh, all-star in 1994, led the league in wins in 1994, if we're still doing that. Are we talking about wins? Let's say we're talking about wins. 94, I feel like we were. Uh, and lots of insight. Very interesting guy. Uh, played for, what, seven different teams in his career, but uh, two of the most eventful and interesting teams were the 1994 Montreal Expos, because of course we're going to talk about them. You could say hi to my dog, Piper, who's barking. And uh, also the 1995 Cleveland squad that he played on, uh, which was a dynamic team as well, and uh, some thoughts on both, kind of the arrogance and skill involved with both teams, and all the great players and characters that came through there, and personal journey stuff for Hill. And then, uh, of course, he's the father of um, Kenny Hill, a great college football quarterback, and walks through all of that. And what's that's, that's, what that is like, rather, uh, being the father of a really, really great athlete. That's got to be both exhilarating and just, ugh. And he even said that there's kind of more that goes into that in a way than when he was on the mountain himself. There's something about being a dad of a great athlete where you kind of sit there and you're like, oh, I hope it works, I hope it works. And uh, you could see it. So I enjoyed the chat with Kenny. This was the last of the podcasts that I did uh, from a few weeks ago. Uh, at the I guess we call it Expos Weekend here in Montreal when a whole bunch of ex-players get back together. There's a banquet. There's all kinds of podcast stuff and all that. Uh, shout out to the great producer and wonderful person, Amy Kaufman, for the help with all that, setting that up with Kenny and the other players. And uh, yeah, so there you go. Let us discuss today's sponsor, friends, and that is SeatGeek. SeatGeek, you know how much I like SeatGeek. You know this already. I've used them for concerts, I've used them for baseball games, I've used them for hockey games, and they are consistently terrific. Buying tickets to anything can be complicated and confusing, but the best way to buy is with SeatGeek. Listen, they're analytical. You know that I dig that. Color-coded map tells you where to sit in the ballpark. So, eh, you got a certain amount of money, and you're like, oh, what am I going to do? Well, not sitting necessarily in the catcher's club, but how about in this spot, down the first baseline. How about in this spot in the upper deck? How about in this spot in the bleachers? SeatGeek will make it easy for you to figure out the best bang for your buck anywhere that you want to sit, which is really, really great. Uh, big fan of what they do. And how about this? If you download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code Jonah, you'll get $20 off of your first SeatGeek purchase. It is just that easy. Download the free SeatGeek app. Enter the promo code Jonah today. 20 bucks off your first SeatGeek purchase no strings attached. That is it. That is all. SeatGeek. Thank you so much to them for sponsoring the podcast now and for a long, long time. And here we go. Let's enjoy the next episode of Jonah Carey Podcast. It is with Ken Hill. Recording. It's Ken Hill. How are you? Doing good, man. Doing good. Just trying to live the dream. 
I love it. it what's it like? This kind of thing, you know, you have uh, a real good career. You get remembered in a bunch of places. And I feel like ball players have different reactions to this kind of stuff. Some of them are like, "All right, I got to go through the dog and pony show." Some of them are like, "I'm all in. I'm going to be rah rah rah." People coming up to you and saying nice things to you has to be really nice. Uh, but I don't know. Does it ever get to be too much? Are you happy with it? What, how do you feel about this kind of thing? No, um, I mean, I'm happy uh, that people uh, respect what I've done. Yeah. As a player. Yeah. I mean, you always want to get that respect from your peers. Mm-hmm. But when you get it from fans who appreciate and understand the game, yeah. it's 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 nice. Yeah, and what we're going to get to where you achieved your most success because that period was a very interesting time in this city in particular. But I always want to go back a little bit and get to guys coming up and how that was. You're growing up in Massachusetts. Uh, you're a pretty big guy. I imagine there were multiple sports you could have gone down the path. At what point did the baseball bug really hit you to be like, I, I want to make a life out of baseball. I want to make a life, and I think I might be good enough to make a life out of baseball. How no, I shoot. I always growing up as a kid, yeah, wanting to be a baseball player from the get go. From the get go, yeah, always wanted to be. Um, growing up playing basketball, hockey, I was involved in a bunch of different sports. Yeah, but baseball was always my deal. Hmm. So you know, come springtime, I know it's my time. That's great. <laughs> I would think hockey. Uh, would be interesting just because you don't look like most other hockey players. Well, I mean, obviously you didn't pursue that as a career or anything like that, but did that ever strike you that it's like, okay, this is the one sport where, wow, I'm really other compared to other guys who are on the ice, other kids who are on the ice. Or, I don't know, maybe not. It's Massachusetts. I don't know. Well, growing up, I grew up with all different nationalities. Yeah. So it wasn't like I was, you know, just one culture. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't play organized, but we skated. My old, one of my brothers played in, in, in high school. Okay. So, but I mean, we all skated, go to the ponds when they froze up and we played all day. So, I mean, it was, it's a sport we, we loved. I mean, played street hockey all the time. Of course. So. <laughs> You're in the right place for that. That's for sure. Well, I mean, hockey's, he's, shoot, I'm still a diehard Bruins fan. So. Oh, we're going to come to blows now. <laughs> <laughs> I heard, I, I was talking to some other people at last night's event, and they said that you were very friendly or whatever, and one lady in particular said that she started talking to you about the Bruins and the Habs. I'm like, this is not the right year to do it. The Bruins are good and the Habs yeah. are bad. Don't be opening <laughs> your mouth. Not a good idea. Um, I'm always curious about the realization point when, okay, you love the sport. You're playing it a lot. But it's one thing to kind of be playing Little League or high school or whatever. It's another thing to be like, Oh crap, like I'm gonna be a big league player. I know that I can do this. I know that I can do this for a living. I know that this is gonna be my actual career. Was there a light bulb moment for you or was it kind of a gradual progression like, oh, I'm better than the high school kids. Oh, I'm better than the A ball kids. How did that go down for you? Well, you gotta realize when in high school, I was 5'10, 155 pounds my uh, senior in high yeah. school. So. Holy cow. And Late bloomer. And I was an all-state second baseman. Yeah. But I pitched. Yeah. I always pitched. But when I got to college, they told me to put the bat down. And that's when I kind of thought, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I better stop focusing just on this pitching. 
<laughs> that's, that's something too to just grow that much from that that late in uh, in your progression. Did you did you perceive and before you became a pitcher? Did you perceive your arm as your best tool? As a really good second baseman, were you a great hitter? Were you agile? Were you a great fielder? What was it about you? Uh, what was the best part of your game at that point before you went on to pitching? I was a pretty good hitter, but I mean, I I mean, I look at hitters, high school kids today. Yeah. I wasn't even close to yeah. some of these guys. But, I mean, I was just an average player. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't, you know, taught to be a superstar. You know, all these kids coming out of high school now are going professional. Well, they're playing year-round. They're playing in yeah. the game tournaments and all that well, stuff. Well, plus, you know, being in Massachusetts with the weather, yeah. so you don't have that many opportunities to get out there and play year-round. So. For sure. Uh, I I love baseball, but... I'm such a nerd for pitching. I just I want to know all the process stuff. I want all that stuff. So now you're progressing into working on becoming a pitcher full time. What's the first thing they're teaching you? Is it just the cliche of okay, throw fastball with command and figure it out? Are you trying to snap off curves right away? How are you making that move from I've pitched sometimes to this is going to be what I'm going to do? What's the first thing that you get really good at when you start getting serious about pitching? The the the, big, the biggest thing is is being able to command the fastball. Yeah, and then once you're able to command fastball both sides of the plate, then the off speed comes into play. Yeah, uh, you know that's usually the less the, the first thing that's that's not consistent. Right, it's throwing off speed. Yeah, but you can throw fastballs, you know. But that's the biggest thing is commanding your fastball, and that's what I teach the young kids now. Yeah. You know, some of the kids that my son plays with that come get lessons, that's the first thing I said, we got to be able to command our fastball both sides of the plate before anything, you know. So that's just the progression, understanding both sides of the plate with your fastball. Then then we got to get the consistency with the off-speed. And it's interesting, too, because in today's game, I mean, it's always been like this to a certain extent, but velocity is so hyped up from the time that you're a kid. How hard can you throw? Go in this tournament, throw it, throw it, throw it, throw it. And you threw reasonably hard, but you weren't Randy Johnson, mm-hmm. and you succeeded. Did you have the mindset, I need to gun it by this guy? Or were you taught, you know, take a notch off and mix, and, and, and how, what was your approach? Well, as, as, you, as the years go by, you understand, you start to understand when you need a strikeout. Yeah. Instead of trying to strike everybody out. I mean, pitch the contact. First pitch out, I mean, you're, you're trying to save much of your bullets as you can in the game. So, I mean, my biggest thing was I learned is pitch the contact. And you got second and third, one out. Now you're trying to get a strikeout. Those are the situations you need strikeouts, but you know today's today's game it's it's changed to where like you talked about everybody wants a power arm yeah but can they pitch? It's the difference yeah because a lot of these hitters are hitting at a hundred mile an hour fastball if it's right down the middle of the plate if you're locating it it's a different story but I mean today's game you don't see pitches. You see some good ones, but you don't see the consistency because everybody's looking for a power arm and they make it in a five inning game because of the relievers. Well, and it's, it's an interesting thing too because I've talked to I've talked to pitchers, but I've also talked to like biomechanical experts and doctors, and what they say is 
there's a limit to what the human arm can do. Mm-hmm. And that vol- all the TJ stuff, and there's always been pitching injuries, of course, but the prevalence of it going up, people are arguing it's actually because of velocity. That it's not bad mechanics, it's not this, it's not that. It's that you literally should not be throwing 100 miles an mm-hmm. hour over and over. Uh, what do you make of that? I'm always fascinated by that theory and what pitchers think about that. I mean, my thing is... <laughs> Some, I think a lot of this is the kids are just they're just blessed. Yeah, I mean, and it ain't something you think you're gonna work to or you're gonna throw hundred mile an hour. I don't think that's happening. Mm. I mean, for me, I never did anything special to throw ninety five. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Other than doing my off season stuff, but other than that, that didn't help me throw ninety five. I just been I was blessed with a good arm mm. and being able to throw. You know, so. It's to me that's just all wash. Yeah, I get you. <laughs> you get into pro ball and you're making your way up the ladder. I'm always wondering about the moments of self doubt. You know, if you're the LeBron type, okay, LeBron, I'm sure he never mm-hmm. had self doubt. He could do whatever he wanted to do for any time. You went on to have a great career, but you were not the number one overall draft pick, and you had to work for it. You're going up against tougher competition. It could be high A. Double A is often where people hit a wall sometimes. How do you mentally process that stuff and say, all right, uh, got to try to get through this. Uh, I gave up five runs yesterday. How am I going to make this happen? How did that work for you? What was your coping mechanism? Uh, the biggest thing is, is still having confidence in your ability, yeah. regardless of what happens. Because I think what in, in, in the game – it's how you deal with the adversity more than you're doing well. Yeah. A lot of times they want to see how you deal with the adversity. From a mental standpoint, I just, hey, it's one game. I got to move on to the next. I mean, for me personally, being a free agent coming through, Yeah. I mean, I don't have many opportunities. No, very different. So my thing is, is I got to forget about that. I got to make sure I come back my next start and they see the improvement. Mm-hmm. And that's how I approached it. Did you have particular mentors or role models who stand out to you, whether it was in high school or whether it was in the minors or whatever? You're like, I got that guy. Talk to Ellis Valentine's like, Larry Doby made a difference. Carl Keel, these are obviously a generation before, but, you know, he could recite these guys. Everybody seems to have a scout. Everybody seems to have an instructor. Everybody seems to have somebody. Did you have that kind of guy? Well, you know, growing up a Red Sox fan, Jim Rice and oh, yeah. Louis Tiant and Roger Moret, those guys, you know, growing up, that's who I wanted to be. Sure. You know, but. In the, Too bad you didn't have the Tiant delivery. You yeah. would have been so much cooler. <laughs> but, I mean, in the minor leagues, you know, when I got to the Cardinals, uh, Daryl knows pitching coach, sure, yeah. Riggins. I mean, there's a bunch of guys that I got some advice from, you know, that taught me certain things. And shooting double A when I was, I mean, in structural league with the Cardinals, they taught me to throw the split finger. Yeah. And it changed my career. Yeah. So, I mean, it's one of those deals. Huh? So. It's a funny thing about the splitter, too, because it's not. That was right around its peak, 80s, 90s, and, and it's just not that pitch anymore. You know, it's a lot of cha- change-ups. People really mm-hmm. throw change-ups, which can be grubless. Pedro Martinez, many people throw great change-ups. What does it take to have an effective splitter? What does it take to be a really good splitter pitcher? And why don't more guys do it now? Well, a lot of it, too, it is, it is taxing on the arm. Mm. But uh, 
you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, it's a pitch, you gotta, you gotta, it's a feel, you gotta throw it. Mm-hmm. You, you, and then you throw it just like a fastball. Yeah. And it, and it does its deal. And I got to a point where I can make it go down and away, and I can make it go down and in mm. to a righty. To a lefty and go down and away to a righty. So yeah. I kind of mastered it in terms of longer I held it, the more it'll go this way. So, I mean, it's, it's just something you gotta, you gotta, you gotta practice. If it is taxing on the arm, would there be moments when you'd be pitching and you'd be like, I can't. Like, if I do, I, were there moments where you're like, if I throw another one of these, I might go on the disabled list? Do you have that fear because of the taxing element of it? I didn't. It was at the end of my career where I, where I started feeling it the most. Yeah. Um, velocity went down. I got to a point where I got to like 65 pitches. To heck, I ended up get, having arthritis. Yeah, jeez. So I get to 65 pitches, it would wake up. Yeah. And I would be sitting middle of summer with a hot pack on my arm. In the in fourth inning. inning. Yeah. In between innings. Oh, God. <laughs> so that's pretty much, you know, at the end of my career, that's when I, it, it kind of got me. But, I mean, other than that, I was strong. I never had any major surgery at, other than uh, getting some bone chips cleaned out. Wow, that's really so, fortunate. Yeah. Um, you, first time you get traded uh, from St. Louis to Montreal, What's that like for a young guy? You know, a guy who, there's expectations. You know, you're supposed to be in the rotation. You're supposed to be an up-and-coming pitcher. And then it's, you're going somewhere else. And you, got, you end up getting traded for obviously a great player and all that stuff. But mentally, do you say, ah, screw these guys. I'm going to show them. Or are you sad? Or are you concerned? Are you uh, doubting yourself? Because it's this organization that invested in me. I've been up with them since I was a kid. And now it's no longer. How do you process that? It's, at first, it's like, man, it's sad. Yeah. You know, because, you know, you're hanging out with your boys. And of course. You know, the people you meet, the place you know you know your way around and everything. Yeah. But then you go, hey, it's a new opportunity for me mm-hmm. in my career. Yeah. Which turned out to be really helpful for me. For sure. So, you know, that kind of turned the corner when I got here to Montreal. What did you make of Montreal as a city? Because... Most athletes, when they come to Montreal, especially if they're American, also they've never been here before. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a different place in every way. Language, nightlife, culture, food, people, all that stuff. Was it a culture shock for you? Was it, oh, my God, this place, cool. How did you go about it? Or was it just, ah, I'm pitching, I could be in Milwaukee, I could be in Houston, I could be in Montreal. Didn't matter. No, it was different. Yeah. I mean, the culture and all that, it, it's... Something to get used to. I mean, especially if you don't speak the language. Yeah. I mean, that's just, it's difficult. Yeah. And then I just kind of got used to it. Yeah. You know, and did the best I could. Yeah. You know, and, and try to find the, find the best restaurants where I can know and go in. And that's easy. <laughs> <laughs> that part's good. So, I mean, it was, it was, to me, it was difficult at first, but I mean, after that, it was, it was no big deal. I kind of got used to it and started understanding certain things. So, I mean, it, it worked out. Tell me about some of the guys on those teams. Were, were there ones that stood out to you personality wise or the way they went about their business on the field? I mean, you, know, you played with like Grissom and Walker and DeShields and Pedro and Facero and Wetland and this is a panoply, different personalities, different backgrounds, different skills and all that stuff. 
Did you have guys who are like, oh, that guy, he's pretty interesting. Or that guy, I like the way that he goes about it. Who stood out to you on those clubs? Well, we all, you got to think about it. We're all young. Oh, everybody. So, Except I mean, for like Randy <laughs> Milligan. Everybody yeah. was young. Yeah. So, I mean, we're all in it together. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, we all, the one thing is, yeah, we all had different personalities. Yeah. But we all love being around each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's hard to in the game to get a bunch of guys to want everybody to do well. Yeah. You know? And we all knew we had one common goal and we knew we were good enough to win. Yeah. So it didn't matter. We joked. We we had all kinds of characters, different characters. You know, Pedro was a character. Oh my God, yeah. You know? Grissom was a character. You know, Moises was a character. You know, Larry Walker was a Walker was maybe the number one character. So, so, I mean, we just, the clubhouse was outstanding. Everything was, we're always loose. And, and like a healthy arrogance. I'm, I'm, I'm friendly with Cliff Floyd and we talk all the time about stuff like that. And he just says, yeah, we kick anybody's ass. Like, there was no fear. It wasn't like, oh, we're young and this other kid. And of course, the Braves were the big nemesis because Correct. Maddox and Glass and all that. And Cliff's like, eh. We're better than those guys. Who cares about those guys? I don't care that they have Cy Youngs. We could beat those guys. How does that come to be? Is it just as a matter of you know you're good and that's that? Do you have to be wired a certain way? Because everybody on that team's like, we'll kick their ass. We'll kick their ass. Like there was, it didn't seem there was any doubt. Well, I mean, you got to look at, uh, yeah, they had all those Cy Young guys, but our pitching staff was just as good. Heck yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it wasn't, we knew we were good. Yeah. So it didn't matter. Yeah. But Atlanta was always the measuring stick. Mm-hmm. So when we played them, we wanted to show them. Yeah. <laughs> so it's as simple as that. We knew other teams come. We knew when teams come up to play us. Yeah. Number one, they got to go to customs. Yeah. Didn't like it. Nope. <laughs> number two, not like. We knew we were going to be out. <laughs> Party. Yeah. Three, we got them on that turf and ran them to death. Oh, yeah. So Speed. we knew those three things. Yeah. So we we knew. And we were confident in our ability to play. We had some players. Yeah. We had some players. And you had an interesting manager, too. And I always, every time I talk to somebody about Felipe, they give me a different answer because there's so many elements to that guy. He just, he would tell these stories. He has these fables. You know, he tells these stories, these lessons, these things. And uh, everybody seemed to react differently. Not everybody loved him. You know, some people did, some people didn't. But different than other managers. What was your impression of this guy as a tactician somewhat, but also just like as a leader of men? How did he come across to you? I thought, I mean, for me, I mean, being a pitcher, yeah, I'm not so much in, you know, I'm dealing with the pitching. Yeah, more Kerrigan, I guess, at that yeah. point, yeah. So, I mean, when I was on the mound, he, I always knew, he told me, he said, don't worry about the running game. Mm. I control the running game. That's good. So I never worried about the running game. Yeah. <laughs> and you weren't like a slide step guy or anything no, like that. Yeah. No. So no. I mean, I never, he said, hey, don't worry about the running game. <laughs> <laughs> the Felipe face. But I mean, I, I, to me, I mean, you treat everybody the same, the fairness. I mean, that's all I want in the manager and he lead us. Yeah. And understanding when to do Push certain buttons, knowing what you're doing. Yeah. He knew what he was doing. And that's the bottom line. 
Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, everybody don't have to like the manager, but if he's staring us in the right direction, yeah, that's all you want. I mean, it ain't like you're going to go out and party with him after the game. Yeah. I mean, you got that three or four hours, you got a job to do. So, you know, you got to go do it. Um, I want to ask you about the 94 <laughs> season, and there's a lot of ways that we can go. But it's always interesting to me when there's a young club, and you could tell they're coming. 92, pretty darn good year. 93, wow, like really good year. And then 94, that next level – What's that feeling like for you when you take the mound? You're like, oh, yeah, we're going to win like four out of every five games. We're going to clobber these guys. We're going to clobber these guys. When you personally are coming into your own as a pitcher, you mm-hmm. were outstanding in 94 individually. And then you start looking at your teammates. It's like, oh, yeah, Moises is breaking out this year. Oh, yeah, like Mel Rojas is suddenly mm-hmm. is unhittable. There's so many other guys around you, and everything is clicking at the same time. What's that like to wake up in the morning, go to the ballpark, and be like, we're going to do this? Oh, no, we couldn't wait to get there. Yeah. We couldn't wait to get there. That's awesome. Because we, we knew. But, see, you got to understand, even when the stri- strike hit, yeah, we're still getting better. Oh, yeah. We're still growing. Yeah. And that's all it. I think it was 17 out of 20 right before the break. Yeah, we yeah. were still getting better as a unit. Yeah. Everybody individually was still growing as players. Yeah. So we still, that's, that's the disappointing thing about it is that the strike hit, then they broke us up. Yeah. You know, if we could have maintained that for one more year, they could have been able to keep us. For and, sure. And made a little little dynasty type deal there. Because, I mean, we they were on the brink of greatness. Yeah, that's what Cliff said. Cliff said something very interesting, which Cliff is very, was always been very confident in his abilities. But he said, looking back, his career, maybe not to the same extent, but he thought that it could have been like a Jeter thing. And I'll explain why. Cliff was a rookie in 94. And he all went on to a great career. But if that team goes through and wins the World Series, is he the guy who's got four or five rings starting with the first one in his rookie year? Do you have four or five rings? Does Grissom, does Walker? Forget about the Braves, because obviously the Braves yeah. want those division titles. Are we not even talking about Posada and Williams and Jeter and, and, and all those guys? Because this is the dynasty. Because not only is this Correct. team really good, you're like the old guy. You were 25 or something like yeah. that. It's, I mean, is that? I wasn't even in my prime. No. No. <laughs> and that's like I said, when I got to Montreal in 92. Yeah. That's when I started to understand myself in terms of pitching. Yeah. You know, I, it, 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 it hit me. Yeah. You know, and, and shoot, that 92, yeah, I went 16 and what, nine and had a two six. Great year. So, I mean, that's when it started going. Yeah. So I mean, and you and you, like you said, you got Cliff Rondell. Rondell couldn't even get off the bench, and he was what, supremely talented. That's what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, he was a fifth I outfielder. Mean, and, and the thing about it is, and that team was, like I said, we were still young and still growing. Yeah. And you can imagine where that team would have went. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. The strike happens. Was the belief that the season was over? Did you guys think, oh well? well Shit, like we're done, or was it okay? We're going to get back to work. I mean, how, how what was that mentally for you guys? Because it was people had said that the date was coming, but then it happens. Are you young enough and naive enough to be like, ah, we're going to be back on the field, and is that it? Or is it, oh my god, our season's over, and we're not going to get our chance? I knew it was over. Did you know right away? Yeah. How'd yeah. you know? I mean, it's just with the negotiations. I mean, we knew. I knew personally that yeah. once it hit. 
we were hoping to get something done before it hit. Right. But it didn't happen. Even though there had been no World Series canceled since, like, 1904 when, like, John McGraw refused to play, at that moment you're like, oh, yeah, we're not going to show up until 1995? Yeah, we're not going to – I just had that feeling. Wow. You know, it's sad, but, I mean, at the end of the day, we knew we had to strike in order to get what we wanted. Of course. There's no question about it. The players were completely in the right. So, I mean, if we didn't, we would have been in trouble. I also want to ask you, because I'm born and raised here, but most of my uh, listening audience, writing audience is in the States. I work for CBS and all that stuff. And I try to impress upon people what it was like to go to a ball game in Montreal in 1994, because obviously the team failed, they moved, we had it was 2,000 people, the game, nothing happened. When you're on the mound in 94 and you're going up against Maddox and Glavin, there's 40,000 people, what's the atmosphere like in that really whack, bizarre stadium. Because I remember being loud and electric in like every bit Yankee Stadium or anything like that. Uh, no, it was crazy. Yeah. It was crazy. Swamming on the seats. It was awful. Yeah. <laughs> Loved every minute of it. That's great. No, I mean, the thing about it is, shoot, that year, we were, we averaged 30,000. Yeah, and by the end it was 40 every night. Yeah. That was capacity. So, I mean, my thing is, is we, they were there. Yeah. I mean, sure, of course you got to win. Yeah. But, I mean, I just loved it, man. I mean, I had three years here. Yeah. And I enjoyed my time here. It was I, a premier career. Yeah. I mean, I just my, turned my career around here. And the people here, it's it, it show, you know, last night. Every time I come back, it's just the people, I mean, appreciate what I've done. Mm-hmm. and And that's all I ever... I mean, I get paid for you. You're the ones who pay my. So I try to do the best I could when I went out there every fifth day. Yeah. It's, um, the 95 season was poignant in many ways. I mean, obviously, the four guys who leave or are forced out, it was an interesting thing. And I just, I cannot stop thinking about the 95 playoffs because you were in the playoffs with Cleveland mm-hmm. and Wellens in the playoffs with the Yankees and Walkers in the playoffs with the Rockies, which was something. And the guy who catches the last out of the 95 World Series is Marquise Grissom. Those are the four guys who leave, and you're all central, pivotal players on these other teams. Did that hit you as you were going along? Like, oh, there's grip, and like they got a ring now. Well, shoot, I'm facing him in the Uh, Yeah, of course. My God. Yeah, yeah. So I'm pitching game four, so I'm facing him in the World Series. So it was was different. Yeah. But, I mean, it's... It, it tells you a lot about what type of players we were. Yeah. To be able to go to another team and impact them. Yeah. So, it, I mean, at the end, it worked out for us in terms of going somewhere and being able to get get to a World Series, which is hard to get to. It sure is. Because <laughs> I never been back after that. Yeah. <laughs> Just to get to the playoffs. I mean, it's it's not an easy task. Well, and even though I was born and raised in Montreal, all that stuff, I have such a soft spot for those Cleveland teams because, man, those were some badasses. Holy, with Bell yeah. and Fierga and Tomei oh, and Manny man. and, like, Dude, what? Was... How is this possible? Tell me about playing with the – always a good pitching staff too, Nagy and those yeah. guys. But, oh, but, no. but I... that team was the lineup. Kenny, Kenny, Eddie my Martin. God. No, so no, good. Dude. Eddie Murray. Uh, Eddie Murray still hitting at that point. Like, Yeah. I, I mean, when I got there – like, holy crap. 
And you're coming off of a really good team. You know, yeah. Walker, Grissom, and Alou in one outfield alone. But this is like your number eight hitter can hit 35. Yeah. I mean, Manny was a rookie hitting ninth. Oh, my God. It's crazy. <laughs> So, did I you mean, just like st- you know you, you went through your drills? Did you just like sit and watch batting practice sometimes? The thing is, is you know I get over there, I give up three run first couple innings. Yeah, say hey, don't worry about it. We're gonna win nine to three. Yeah, it was fun, man. It was it was it was different. Yeah, I mean that team. It was like the Beatles hmm. with that team. Yeah. I mean, it was, that team was, ooh, man. We went on the road, people, people everywhere. We get off the bus, everything. It was, it was, it was pretty neat deal. That's cool. <laughs> I, I had, I had Kenny on my podcast. I did one with him when the, uh, Cleveland was in the playoffs in 2016. We talked about Bell quite a bit. And I have to tell you, I have a soft spot for players who, like the media isn't real cool to them and they're perceived as a certain way. Like, I'm a Barry Bonds fan. If I was old enough, I probably would have been a Dick Allen fan. You know what I mean? I appreciated players who maybe they had a chip on their shoulder. Maybe they weren't treated properly in the mainstream, but man, they could play. Yeah. No, Albert. What was, what, what was it about Albert? How, what, first of all, obviously he could play. What was his personality like away from the media who were crapping on I'm him? I'm not doing We hung out. Yeah. And what was he like? He didn't drink. Yeah. When I was there. He, he he didn't drink, but we hung out. Smart guy, from what oh, I oh no question, yeah. we hung out. Soft spoken, yeah. I mean, but when he's in that clubhouse, I mean, he got he got a mindset, yeah. And he just don't, don't bother me, yeah. I, I respect that for sure because everybody approaches it differently. You know what I mean? Yeah. Some guys you don't even speak to game day, so I mean that's. Different personalities. I mean, you approach the game differently, and you. Res- I respect that. Yeah. But when get, when he gets between that those lines, he's ready to play. And that's all you want. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's 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 frustrating to me because like Kershaw's known to have that personality too. That when Kershaw's pitching, you can like he'll bite your head off. And I'm I'm just gonna flat out say it. Kershaw looks different than Barry Bonds and Richie Allen. Oh yeah, and, and Albert Bell. I mean, that's that's the frustrating part. It's like you're not any worse than the other guy. It's just that you're not cuddly because your skin's a little different. Yeah. Like it just, I didn't, I still don't get that. It drives me nuts. Well, that's the problem with our society today. I know. I mean, that's dude. All the stuff's going on. It's crazy. It's it's crazy. It's crazy. And the thing about it is, my son went through it. Yes. Up at, at school, yeah. So I mean, he went through it, and and he, and then you know, and they talk about the top six quarterbacks in this draft. Yeah, you know, my son's just as good for sure. <laughs> so I mean, <laughs> it, but that's part of it. My son didn't get invited to the combine, huh? So it is what it is. But I mean, I have to I have to teach my boys about all this. My son, my young son's going to East Kentucky. Yeah. The coach is black. Different story. So, and that's one of the reasons he's going. Yeah. So I know, number one, this guy, I'm not saying he's going to automatically play him. Yeah. But I know he's going to look out for my boy. Yeah. He's going to make sure my boy gets his education because he's a black man. He understands and knows what it takes hmm. to succeed in this world. So I know in that aspect, my son's going to be. Taking care of. 
Lamar Jackson stands out to me too. Like he's a great prospect. And it's like oh, maybe he'll be a wide receiver. Wait, that would look a white quarterback. He's a great. They're not gonna make him a wide receiver. That's crazy. Think to about me. this. Yeah, he won the Heisman last year. Yeah, and they come into the season don't even talk about it. What? How? And he had better stats this year than he had last year. I know. Come on, man. What year? Like I, you know, Doug Williams. I feel like okay, well, Doug Williams broke through. Now we're good. We're no, not good. Really we're still talking change. about wide receivers. It's, it's never going to change. It's always going to be that way. And that's why I keep telling my boys, man, you got to be in the, a notch above. <laughs> Which is unfair. And it's it's also, it's a thing about, well, this might be getting a little deeper and we'll see where it goes. But like societally, right? You, you grow up, you raise children and you raise children to have pride in themselves mm-hmm. and to believe in themselves and to keep their head up high. And if you have a certain skin color, if you hold your head too high, you're going to get dinged for mm-hmm. it. Dinged might even be underestimated. I mean, like, hurt for it. How do you approach that as a parent raising kids to be proud of themselves, to believe in themselves, but also be like, yeah, but also keep your head down. That's got to be. Well, it's difficult because my youngest is kind of going through that. Right now. Yeah. From a baseball standpoint. Yeah. And um, he's the only black one on the team. High school. I'm wow. talking high school. Yeah, yeah. We got another kid whose mom is Asian, but he plays. Yeah. My son's spotty. Last year we had some tournament stuff. My son never even played the field. Right. But everybody else did. So I was pissed. Yeah. But this year, thinking my son should be the starting left fielder. I think he earned that right. Mm -hmm. But he's not. But he's been playing. When he's been in there, he's been hitting. Yeah. He he actually leading the team in hitting. So he had three hits last Tuesday. Friday, he's not in the lineup. How's that? Go figure. You got to move to Sweden or something. But, <laughs> I don't know, yeah. but I told him, I said, number one, Yeah. you know you can play. Yeah. Keep your confidence up. I said, but when they call your number, just be ready. Play for your teammates. Mm-hmm. The coaches, at this point, these coaches can't help you. But you got to have that confidence rolling into next year when you go to college. Yeah. You still got to play with confidence. But right now... When you're in there, play with confidence and for your teammates. These coaches obviously got something against me or somebody because then you're not playing. You hmm. should be, this should be no if, no ands, no buts about you playing. Yeah. And I think about it is I hadn't, I bit my tongue for two years and I hadn't said anything. Yeah. And I'm just going to let him finish. He's got two months and he'll graduate and he'll be done. Hmm. <laughs> That'd be so difficult. It's it. It's tough. I'm wondering too about being a dad of football players because now we know. We know about the data. We suspected mm-hmm. it, but now we know. There's conclusive evidence. And you got a quarterback who's going to get hit. That's mm-hmm. just how – he's not a place kicker. He's going to get hit. He's supremely athletic, talented, smart. He's got a chance for a great future, but he's going to get hit. Yeah. And it's your boy. Yeah. Scared to death. How, it's got to be, right? Uh, no question. Yeah. Every time he touches that ball, it takes off. Oh, my God. Oh, no, dude, I hate it. 
I hate it. How do you, do you talk to them about it? Do you say, hey, don't get clocked? Like, how do you, because you can't, you can't have that mentality when you're on the field. You can't be afraid. Well, the, the thing I tell them to, number one, you got certain situations, you got to slide. Yes. Number two, get out of bounds. Yes. But telling him that, I'd like, dude, you can't go in there and try to take Well, he believes that he's superhuman. Well, no question. Everybody I mean, he's just 20s. playing. Once yeah. he's out there, he's competing. He's playing. Yeah. So, I mean, there's not much you can really, because yeah. he's competing. But yeah. I hate it, man. I hate it. You're like, why couldn't you all be second base? <laughs> <laughs> well, mind you, you can get hit on a double play, too. But Yeah. yeah. No, but if, if, if everything would have worked out for him in yeah. terms of when we signed to play, Signed a uh, letter of intent to go to Texas A&M. Yeah. The coach at the time said he could do both. Then when we got there, come spring, yeah, uh, well, you need to be over here. Mm. So that's when the baseball stopped. Yeah. Because he was better in baseball than he was. Oh, really? Yeah. Kenny was good. Wow. Yeah, he was a draft prospect in high school. So That's saying something. Yeah. And he was a third baseman. Interesting. <laughs> oh, you got the arm. I can see. Well, that. now both my boys pitched. Yeah, but my my, I stopped Kenny from pitching because he was a quarterback. All the throws. Yeah. And my young one pitched early. Then he said he didn't want to do it anymore. So I said that's fine. <laughs> I'm always interested in that stuff too. If you're the parent of, if you're a high level athlete, and then you have uh, high level athlete sons. Do you? Would you feel, in retrospect, would you feel better about striking out Tony Gwynn, or would you feel better about your boy throwing a 50-yard touchdown pass? About him throwing a 50-yard really? pass, yeah. Because of the parental pride. Yeah, no, that's him, man. I I like that. You should see, I, just, I wish this was a video podcast. The smile on your face yeah, is so great. No, dude, your kids do some some good things. You, you, you're proud of them. That's awesome. You know, and you try to raise them the right way, you yeah. know, and, and do be respectful. And my boys are, my, my young, Kenny got into a little deal up there at A&M, just being young and dumb. Yeah. Not dumb, but just. Immature. We're all correct. immature at that age. And, and, and I look at him now, so, okay, I see you. Yeah. You know? <laughs> That's good. The pride is great. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, like I told him, I said, I went through the same stuff in college. So, it's not like, it's just magnified that you're the quarterback yeah and you know you're son of a and that professional athlete mm-hmm. so you're going to get the press that's all it is yeah if anybody else does it nobody cares not an issue yeah <laughs> interesting uh one last question which i do at the end of every podcast is i always ask the guests for like a life tip a nugget of wisdom i meet you in a bar i say i'm jonah you say you're kenny and i uh, say uh, i'm all about this this is my thing what is your thing one thing, your your mantra. Your, it could be something serious, could be something non-serious. But if I meet you, this is what you're all about. Uh, no, I'm just who I am. I'm, I'm what you see is what you get. I like that. You're not going to get anything else. Uh, that's this is who I am. No pretense. No pretense. That's good stuff. Uh, Ken, a real pleasure. Thank you so much for chatting. Not a problem. Anytime, man. <laughs>